Welcome to the Mountain Bailey Photography Podcast. It's July 16, 2018, and this is episode 625. This week we conclude our 2018 Complete Namibia Tour travelogue series with our wildlife extravaganza in the Atosha National Park, literally completing the photography of the main photography genres that Namibia offers visitors. When I put this epic trip together and called it the Complete Namibia Tour and Workshop, I was very conscious that I wanted to make Atosha a part of it. And I am so pleased that I made this decision. Without Itosha on the itinerary, you generally leave Namibia with a feeling that you didn't do her wildlife justice. The thing is, there is wildlife across most of Namibia, and we had some beautiful opportunities before getting to Itosha, but you never feel that you've really done wildlife until you spend at least a few days in this beautiful national park. As I mentioned last week, we actually start our Itosha experience in a lodge with a private reserve adjacent to the park. The animals actually come and go as they please to an extent, because neither the owners of the reserve nor the Itosha wardens can keep the animals from breaking down segments of the fences. The great thing about the private reserve though is that the guides know the place and the animals like the back of their hands. I don't want to play down the knowledge that our two main guides and drivers for the trip have. They know the entire country like the back of their hands. But when in a small reserve, it's often a good idea to take the game drives that they offer, as they can be very productive. At the end of last week's travelogue, I shared a photo of a lioness that I'd shot accidentally in 3D. And that was literally one of the first images that I shot as we started our first game drive with the lodge after lunch on our first day at Itosha. A few minutes later, we came across a male lion lying in some beautiful long golden grass, as you can see in the first photo that I wanted to share for today. In my first few shots of this majestic young lion, he was just sitting in the grass. That's great because it gives me a moment to check my exposure. But then, as they often do, he rolled back his head and gave us a great big yawn. If you know lions, you can probably tell it's a yawn. But it also might look like an almighty roar. I love the detail in his mouth and those huge teeth and the rasps on his tongue. To focus, I had been careful not to catch the blades of grass in front of the lion, as that would leave the main subject soft. At some points I think I manually tweaked the focus to ensure that he was sharp. Because I used the back button focus after I've manually tweaked the focus, I can simply not press the AF button again. And because I have also disabled autofocus on the shutter button, the camera doesn't try to focus again as I release the shutter. This is one of the most useful aspects of using back button focus. You can switch between manual and autofocus just by pressing or not pressing the AF button. In fact, if you are in a continuous focus mode, AI focus on a Canon camera, you also have access to continuous focus by keeping your finger on the AF button or one shot focus 
by pressing the AF button and then releasing it. It's like having three focusing modes without changing anything on the camera. My other settings for this shot were ISO 1600 to get a shutter speed of 800th of a second at f8 and I was using my Canon 100-400mm Mark II lens at 400mm. We'll briefly hear from the co-host that I invited to help me with this year's tour in the recorded comments that I'll play you later. But I wanted to quickly give a shout out to Rich Dyson before we move on. Rich lives in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I'd travelled with him before on my own tours. Rich impressed me with his professionalism and knowledge of photography, so I asked him to help out on this trip. I wanted to mention this now for a couple of reasons, but I was reminded of Rich at this point because when I showed the photo to Rich, he said, you know, when you show people this, someone will pull you up for the grasses over the lion's face. (laughs) My reply to this was not really repeatable here, but the sentiment behind it was that if you can only see the grasses in front of the lion's face in this shot, then you really need to develop a better appreciation for the artistic side of photography over the technical. This wasn't directed at Rich, of course, but anyone that might say that. I'm thinking people at camera clubs who have to find something negative to say when they aren't able to talk in a positive way. And I think that there are way too many people like that out there. Anyway, before that develops into a full-on rant, I wanted to add that Rich was really good at helping people in our group that were struggling with some of the more basic aspects of photography. I often tend to start at a higher level and need to see some glazed over eyes before I realise that I'm talking over someone's head. But Rich does short courses starting from beginner levels in Edinburgh and is really good at it. Of course, he can help advanced photographers too, so if you live in or can get to his neck of the woods and want a bit of help with your photography, get in touch with Rich Dyson at richdysonphotography.com. Literally just moments after I shot the previous image, as the lion closed his mouth, I got this next image, which looks to me like a scowl now. Again, not really like a big frightening yawn. There is still grass in front of his face, more now than before in fact, and yes, I notice it, but I think that these photographs go beyond that, and guess what? This is the sort of environments that lions like to rest in. I don't usually post two images of the same subject, but I've been going back and forth between these two photos for the last few weeks, and I simply can't decide which one I prefer, so I decided to share both of them. They are both cropped very slightly, maybe 7% of the width of the image, so at 50 megapixels the detail is absolutely incredible. I'm looking forward to getting fully caught up on business so that I can have an afternoon printing some of these photos and just poring over them. Having said that, I also now export my images at full size to the Apple Photos application. And because I have the 4K version of the Apple TV, I can view them at 55 inches on a 4K television as well. And they are really powerful images to see at that size. 
and with this amount of detail. My settings were, of course, the same as the previous photo. It was not even a full second later. The EXIF data shows them as being shot at exactly the same time. At this point, talking out loud as I prepare to record for this episode, I'm struggling to whittle down my final selection of images to talk about. I like to keep each episode to 10 photos, and I currently still have 14 in my selection, and that was a struggle. I could have easily done more episodes on the wildlife section of this trip alone, but I think we should move on next week, so there are some difficult decisions to make. What I'm going to say for now is that I will also be updating my Namibia portfolio, and will no doubt include some of the images that I have to cut from my selection here. So if you are interested in seeing the larger body of work, please check out my portfolio at mbp.ac slash Namibia portfolio, all one word, or by following the portfolio's link in the menu at martinbaileyphotography.com. So, still pained by the photo I've just deleted from my selection, let's take a look at some shots from a visit to a waterhole in Natosha on our second day there. I'm always amazed at the variety of species of animals that visit some of the waterholes in Natosha, but trying to show them all in a single photo often doesn't work for me. Although I like to show animals in their environment, especially when the environment is a beautiful landscape, when that isn't the case, or when there is too much noise, I prefer to get in close and show the subjects in more detail, with as few distractions as possible. When there are hundreds of zebra at a waterhole though, it can be somewhat difficult to decide exactly where to place the edges of your frame, as was the case with this next image. Although I've cropped this image on the top and bottom, making it a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, the side edges are exactly as I framed this in the camera, to kind of make a point. I'm relatively happy with the framing of this image, especially on the left side, but I will probably clone out the bit of a nose poking into the frame just below the young zebra's head in the middle of the left edge. The right edge is more complicated, and although I considered cropping in to just after the nose of the head in the bottom right corner because I slightly cropped his eye, and there is another zebra just above him with only half a head, I found that the chaotic right edge looks better than the cleaner one that I created with the temporary crop that I tried. I guess that comes from the feeling that there is a continuation of the herd. My settings for this were ISO 800 for an 800th of a second shutter speed at f14 and a focal length of 400mm. At the same waterhole 30 minutes later, I shot this next image of two elephants bonding by rubbing their trunks together. Again, I went in tight on the composition to reduce the image to what I feel are its necessary elements. This means that I have some animals across the top of the frame that are cropped off, but I opened up my aperture to f9 to stop them from being too in focus. They still bother me a little bit, but the main subjects hold my attention enough for the blurred animals at the top of the frame to not be too much of an issue. 
I kind of like the zebra in the centre of the frame, although it does fight for attention a little. I have gone back and forth on this and many of my images as to whether or not I would prefer to convert them to black and white. I think I preferred the zebra shot earlier in black and white, but this morning I went back to the colour version of this image, as I like the earthy warm tones. With landscape photography I generally know when I shoot the image if I will convert it to black and white or not, but for me it's not so clear cut when it comes to wildlife. I generally have to convert it and then live with the black and white image for a while before I can fully decide. My settings for this image were ISO 800 for a two thousandth of a second at f9 and a focal length of 400mm. I went to a two thousandth of a second because the elephants were jumping around a fair bit and I didn't want them to be blurred. That afternoon we went back out for a game drive with the guides from our lodge and were treated to some more amazing opportunities. They asked us what we'd like to see, so we requested white rhinoceros, as we knew there was some in their reserve. Sure enough, after an hour or so of driving around, we were presented with a group of seven white rhinos. I got some shots of the entire group, but here is one of my favourite shots, showing one of the rhino in great light, allowing us to see the amazing texture in its thick skin, and there's a second rhino looking in from behind the first. Also, as the bushes and trees in the foreground added a nice oval frame to the image, I added a vignette in Capture One Pro, darkening down the edges by almost two stops, and that helps to draw our eyes to these magnificent creatures. It is, of course, really nice to get to photograph rhinos that have not been dehorned in an attempt to prevent poaching. It turns out that dehorned rhinos still have half a horn that can be gouged out if you're an unscrupulous poacher, so that isn't as effective as they'd hoped anyway. It was a real treat to see these animals though in such numbers and with their young as well. My settings for this were ISO 1000 for a thousandth of a second at F10 and only 148mm, so you can tell how close we were to them. Another thing to note is that these animals are called white rhino based on a bit of a mistake, more than being related to their colour. The white is a misunderstanding of the word wide, which was used to describe the shape of their wide mouths. The white rhino is a grazer, which eats grass and other low foliage from the ground, you can see how wide and square shaped their mouths are in this image. In this next image though we see a black rhino from the following day in Itosha, and you can perhaps make out his much more triangular shaped pointed mouth. The black rhino is a browser rather than a grazer, which means he has hooked lips to eat leaves, branches and roots. As the naming is based on a misunderstanding, these two rhino are now also sometimes referred to as the square-lipped and the hook-lipped rhinoceros. You maybe can't tell from these two photos, but the white rhino is also up to almost double the size of the black rhino. 
I had no trouble deciding on whether to stay in colour with these images, with the Rhino being basically a large living grey card, they really lend themselves to black and white photographs, especially when the surroundings aren't adding much colour-wise. I think the conversion really helps to see the texture in their skin too. I added just over a one-stop vignette to this image as well, for the same reason as the previous image. I'm actually thrilled that we were able to photograph the two types of rhinoceros in Etosha, both with their horns as well. I had shots of them from last year, but none with horns. Now, of course, I fully support any attempt to stop the poaching of animals in Africa, but these were very special photography opportunities that I was very grateful for. My settings for this shot were ISO 800 for an 800th of a second shutter speed, at f11, and I had my 1.4 times extender fitted to my 100 400mm lens for a focal length of 560mm. The next photo is another image that I have decided to overlook an imperfection for the greater good. As we headed for our lodge for the second two nights we'd spend in Etosha, we stopped to photograph this journey of giraffes. I love that collective noun for giraffes on the move. A journey. How cool is that? The imperfection might not be obvious in the web-sized image, but as with the oryx image that I spoke about in episode 623, the heat is causing the air to shimmer like a mirage, so the giraffes are actually all wobbly. We can, of course, see exactly what they are, and... Depending on how you look at it, the shimmer might even add to the story by showing us that the air is hot. I toyed with the idea of cropping this down to a 16 by 9 or even a 2 to 1 aspect ratio, but the foreground isn't distracting and I placed the giraffes at the top of the frame to emphasise the fact that they were in the distance as well as to minimise the boring pale blue sky. So I think I'm going to leave this in its original 3 by 2 ratio crop, at least for my base copy. I may crop it for specific uses later, but that goes for all of my work really. My settings for this image were ISO 800 at a thousandth of a second, at f11 and a focal length of 400mm. I'm really quite happy with this next image, as I've been hoping for a shot of an elephant looking straight back at me from the waterhole for a number of years. I'm particularly happy that the waterhole looks relatively natural because from a few paces to the right of the frame here, the concrete edge of the waterhole starts to become visible and it doesn't look nice at all. I would have liked to have had a bit more of the elephant's reflection in the water, but this waterhole is very narrow, so if I pulled back any more, you start to see the bank on this side. Still, I like the way the elephant's ears are spread out a little, but he's not really in a defensive pose. I decided to convert this to black and white because I think it adds to the mood, and as with the rhino shots, it helps us to see the texture and detail in the skin of the elephant. I also think the shadows look better in black and white, and with the lack of colour, I think we depend on the contrast between the shadows and the highlights a little more. 
My settings were ISO 800 for an 800th of a second at f11 and a focal length of 271mm. I have cropped in on this slightly in post. The following day we heard from a few people and also checked the sighting log at the nearby park office and there had been multiple sightings of both a family of cheetah and leopards in the same area. After looking around for a while we figured that the leopard sighting was probably just someone somehow mistaking the cheetah for the leopard, but we did find the cheetah. In fact, despite us driving along the area of the sighting for a while, on our second pass, our driver and guide found the mother sitting out on the edge of the salt basin, so far away that literally no one in the car would have thought it was any more than a stick or a small bush. Surely enough, though, I shot a photo of it at 400mm and zoomed in to 100% on my camera and confirmed that it was indeed a cheetah. In my photo it was probably around 20 pixels tall. We waited for a while, but she was obviously not going to come close enough for us to photograph her for a while, so we decided to go and get lunch, and hope that she'd come back to the shade of the closer trees as the midday sun got the better of her. We also knew that she had to be hiding her cubs somewhere, and that may well have been also in the shadow of the trees that we could see. This turned into a bit of a test of the group's patience, as after lunch she did come a little closer to the road, and we started to see her with the three cubs that had been sighted, but we weren't really able to get any shots for a number of hours. We voted in our car, and a little bit of persuasion on my part led to my group staying, and the second vehicle went off to try and find something else to shoot. Personally, I'm pleased we stayed, because there were a few beautiful shots for the making shortly before 4pm, as the cheetah family became a little active, as you can see in this photo. We can see the mother looking out vigilantly for any possible predators that might threaten her cubs, but also here we can see all three of the cubs up and about, with one of them catching some nice light on his face as he leans against the low bough of the tree. There were very few moments when all three cubs were visible like this, along with the mother, so I'm pleased to have been able to shoot this. The other thing that I really like about this shot is that it's also a relatively nice landscape image, with the golden foliage and the camel thorn trees, and the plain in the distance just visible through the trees. At 400mm there was also an element of luck, as this image is clear of the shimmer that we sometimes see from the heat, but a few of my other images of these cheetahs were a little bit wobbly from the heat so I was really relieved to see that this one was fine. My settings were ISO 1600 for a shutter speed of 2500th of a second at f8. I was set at a high shutter speed because the mother was also obviously hungry and there was springbok in the area, so I wanted to be ready if she gave chase. One of the great things about photographing in Itosha is that people are very open with their sighting information. They will sometimes stop and ask us what we've seen, but quite often 
If someone has seen something cool, they'll just stop as they drive past and let us know. After we'd got what I believe were the best shots to be made of the cheetah, with, of course, the risk of missing the chase for a springbok, a car stopped and told us that there were some elephants at the waterhole ten minutes down the road from where we were, so we decided to go and check that out. When we got there, the elephants were moving away from the waterhole, but one had stopped with one foot up on a rock or a dirt mound and was picking up dust in his trunk and throwing it onto his back, having a dust bath. With the sun behind the elephant, it was almost a silhouette shot, until I opened up the shadows in post, but that also gave me some great backlight for the dust, highlighting it against the side of the elephant, so I was happy with the camera angle. We can also see a few springbok on the plane in the background, and that distant shimmer, a telling sign that we're in Africa, even though it was towards the end of the day, in the middle of the Namibian winter. It's actually a really comfortable time to visit, as it gets hot, but not uncomfortably hot, and the mornings and evenings are actually quite cold, so we generally don't have any problems sleeping, etc. Anyway, my settings for this image were ISO 800, for a 1600th of a second exposure at f11 and a focal length of 400mm. Okay, so that's our 10 Etosha National Park wildlife photos, but I also wanted to share one last bonus image that I shot on our last night in the park before heading back to Vinhook to fly home. One of the great things about being in the desert is when there's no moon, the Milky Way looks spectacular. Before I went to bed, I decided to shoot a few frames of the sky, and although I shot some wide-angle images with my 11-24mm f4 lens, with the lights of the lodges at the base of the frame, I actually much prefer this image, shot with my new Canon 85mm f1.4 lens, to just single out a small portion of the Milky Way. The f1.4 lens is actually so bright with its wide aperture that you can see the stars through the viewfinder, which is nice, as I've only ever done astrophotography with f2.8 and f4 lenses in the past, and especially at f4, you just can't do that. I took a few shots as I refined my framing to show this portion of the Milky Way, and having checked on the NASA website after getting home, it seems that I had actually framed up the centre of our galaxy, the galactic core, where there is a supermassive black hole called Sagittarius A star, just slightly below and left of the centre of this image. Because I was able to see the points of the stars, I was able to focus manually until they were sharp, and I simply decreased my shutter speed over a few frames until I got to 5 seconds, which was the point where I could see that the stars were almost perfectly round, instead of being elongated by the rotation of the Earth. Although I've heard of the 500 rule, I have to admit that I didn't really know what it was, until I spoke about the photo the following day with a member of the group who is into astrophotography, and I learned 
that to get the shutter speed for an image of the stars without them becoming elongated, you simply divide 500 by your focal length. Some people use 600, but 500 divided by 85, my focal length, is 5.88 seconds, and because I'd actually seen a little bit more elongation of the stars at 6 seconds, I was happy that I'd used 5, and the calculation gave me confirmation that I was pretty much spot on. As I mentioned, the following day is really a drive back to Windhoek, where we spend one more night before everyone flies home. So, that really brings us to the end of this travelogue series. As usual though, no trip would be complete without doing a roundtable with my digital recorder to get a brief comment from each member of the group, which I'll play you now. Okay, so here we are at the end of the 2018 Complete Namibia Tour. Um, I've had a wonderful time. I'll, I'll save a few last comments for the end, but uh, we're going to do the traditional roundtable and get a few comments from each of the participants and I'm going to start with Rich Dyson so you've uh, I asked Rich to come and help me to co-host this and I personally have been couldn't have been happier with with the choice and I know that you've all got a lot of great words to say about Rich as well but thanks Rich for everything you've done and would you like to say a few words yeah hi I'm Rich Dyson from Edinburgh in Scotland uh, I've had an absolute blast with Martin I've attended one of his workshops in the past and now helping um, co-host with him has been real pleasure um, as with all with Martin's workshops and tours, it's absolutely fantastically organised. You're going to get to see amazing things, some really special photographs, which I'm sure all the rest of the people will tell you about. Oh, thanks, Rich. So, Murray, would you like to go next? Hi, I'm Murray McCallum from uh, British Columbia, Canada. And yes, uh, as Rich said, uh, Martin is an incredible host, uh, very organised, more highlights than I can even uh, number. I came for the Himba, the uh, Skeleton Coast, but uh, was overwhelmed by the animal life. I've been on many safaris, and uh, this is at the top. I, I'm, I'm stunned by the amount of wildlife that we witnessed, and the good company, of course, who all came to share Martin's knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. I've totally enjoyed your, your banter and your wit, Martin. Jay. This is Jay Tuttle from Indianapolis. This has been another wonderful trip with Martin. And uh, as, as Murray said, the highlights are just too numerous to mention. Just uh, a wonderful time with a great group of people, and any one of which or all of which I'd just be delighted to travel with again. So I'm already looking forward to the next trip. Uh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you very much, Martin, for uh, almost three weeks of fun and adventure with a great group of people. Um, the Namibia is just a wonderful country. It's beyond my expectations. And I look forward to another Martin Bailey trip in the future. Oh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it too. Dave, you want to say a few words? Yeah, David Carpenter, Atlanta. Um, I mean, the best way I can describe this trip is just brilliant. Oh. Um, <laughs> just incredible photography and delightful people, both in the group and the people in Namibia. It's just been an incredible experience. Oh, thanks very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Jerry, would you like to say a few words? 
Hi, I'm Jerry from San Diego, California, and if you're thinking of going on a trip with Martin, please don't think twice. Sign up now. <laughs> and he's the best. I learned more than I ever thought possible. Rich was most helpful, and the group was a lot of fun. We had a lovely, lovely time. Oh, thank you. Please enjoy it. So, Jan, do you want to say a few words? Sure. Jan Wagner, Seattle, Washington. I'm the virgin photographer on the on the crew here and and uh, wow I got worked over pretty good by <laughs> by Martin and and Rich and all the gang and I learned so much I I'm leaving with so much knowledge I just I'm going to be processing it for a long time and I can't oh. wait to do another tour with Martin oh thanks that's great let's go up to Bob um, I knew Namibia would be a paradise for photographers but Martin's itinerary was outstanding. Um, every, I, I came for the Himbas, but I loved every part of it, and it was so diverse. Um, the people of Namibia are wonderful. It's a much more progressive country than I thought. They're very concerned about ecology, and um, I can't thank you enough, Martin. Oh, no, thank you. Philip. Hello. Yeah, I'm Philip Long from the Gold Coast in Australia. Uh, I'm the, the real virgin photographer on the trip. And um, I have to say that what I really appreciated was when I ever asked Martin a question or Rich a question, I always got a, 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 a full answer. I was never fobbed off. I get, got great knowledge from them. And also, I think I gain from osmosis from the rest of the group so I think I've sucked a little bit of their knowledge into me so it was a great trip and yeah. thanks Martin and Rich. Thank you very much. Odile. Hello I'm Odile from Australia. Thanks Martin and Richie for your great help and leadership. Definitely you led us with a precision, military precision. <laughs> <laughs> it's been said before. Oh, did it? Yeah. Anyway, I loved every moment of it and learned a lot and enjoyed Namibia. And I was really amazed at the, the love, um, the wildlife, the number of animals I have seen. And I really enjoyed the company of everyone. And especially I have to mention, I really love the laugh of Murray. <laughs> and um, and everybody else company and the lovely gentleman from Chapel Hill thanks Martin <laughs> ok thank you can I sneak through here and we'll just we'll talk with John I think I'm the last to speak and, and what to say that hadn't already been said let's see Martin F. Bailey Tours <laughs> the theological implications alone are staggering <laughs> thank you Martin thank you very much John so, as, as I said, I'm just going to say a few last words to wrap up. Um, I, I really have had an amazing time with this group. You've all been wonderful travel partners, and um, you know, and I, I've learned things from you guys as well. We've all just sort of formed a wonderful unit here. Um, it's a long way. You know, we travel 4,200 odd miles, uh, well, kilometres on this trip. The complete Namibia tour. We literally do everything there is to do here. Um, it's a lot of hard work. Thank you for getting up early some mornings. Thank you for getting the cold, a bit of cold weather on some mornings. And thanks for just everything you've done and for just for being great sports. And uh, 
I think we should give each other a quick round of applause. Just, uh, just. Okay, thanks a lot. As I mentioned at the start of this travelogue series, this really was a great group, and it's lovely to hear their comments again now, just over four weeks after our tour finished. Of course, I'm fortunate to have been able to travel with hundreds of really nice people over the 11 years that I've been running my tours now, but it's not often that everyone gets along quite as well as this group did. It's not just me, but really everyone seemed to click beautifully, making it a pleasure to travel with these people. If you might be interested in joining the 2019 tour from June 2 to 18, please check out the tour page at mbp.ac Namibia. It really is an amazing tour, so give it some thought and I look forward to getting a chance to travel with you in this beautiful land. Thanks very much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. Subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast program to ensure uninterrupted delivery. If you have a moment to rate the podcast or leave us a review in iTunes, that helps to keep us relevant in the huge number of podcasts out there now. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, etc. And links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com, so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. <laughs>